Testing, testing, testing. Good afternoon. Welcome to my first version of Author Bio Series by Tasha Lewis. You listen to my story. You know, most authors have a story, whether it's about their family life, their careers, uh, their education, their social life. Everyone has a story. My story is no different than most people's. I had a humble upbringing uh, for the first few years of my life. Uh, with my parents living in Chicago and then South Bend, Indiana. And then it took a turn, like many other people's lives, where my parents, uh, for various personal reasons, uh, you know, went their separate ways, and my mother took us on a journey after that. And that journey shaped the person that I am today. It led me to seek adventure and beauty out of tropical settings, whether it was in the Caribbean, which was one of the first places my mother took us when uh, she and my dad parted. And that was a true experience for me. In fact, my first novel, which is Searching for the Perfect Place, and I have a seminar called Developing Your First Novel, which I base it on that book where I talk about some of the experiences that we have. I have a chapter in that book entitled Caribbean, since that's where we went. I also have used uh, careers and uh, projects as subject matter for certain books that I've written. And it allowed me to discover something that I think many authors don't really think that they have inside of them, a voice. I was just listening to several interviews this week of entitled The Author's Memoir Summit. And as I was listening to them talk, it made me realize something about my first author series. So even though I felt like, wow, I have to redo this, I'm actually happy about it now. Because when I was listening to the authors that I heard, you know, they weren't perfect. It was not like a monologue. They weren't sitting there reading from a script. They were just talking from the heart. So that made me realize the next time I do an author series or a summit or any type of workshop, the first thing I'm going to do is relax and get outside of my own comfort zone, which when I did my first one, it was more like a presenter, more like a professor type of thing. But I saw them having fun with words and using humor and different things like that that I usually use when I teach my classes or my seminars. So I decided to make mine a little bit more bubbly, a little bit more fun, and talk about some analogies and make sure that whoever's listening will find the process of writing, whether it's a memoir, it's an autobiography, whether it's a biopic, um, poetry, whatever the subject matter is, they would be able to do it lightly, and they wouldn't have to feel like they'd have to be perfect. My second book, which is kind of a slight take on the first one, but it's more of a self-help career book, is called 
Living Your Destiny, the continuation. It has a connection to my first book, Searching for the Perfect Place, with some of the characters. But then it's more truth and nonfiction than it is fiction. But some of the names that were originally in the original version to make a connection, I use those as well. But most of the other names are factual. I just use people's first names uh, to protect those that want to be protected. Then I went on to write several other books. The amazing thing about that process was I was helping all these other people work on their projects, different uh, autobiographies, uh, self-help. And I, you know, I said to myself, I said, you know, I have all these other books inside of me. Like I had a book about a business I had called How to Set Up a Portable Immersion Program. I had a book about um, making a music video because I made a music video. And I thought, I wish I had this book back then because it was kind of like a trial and error for me. And to have that book along with the resources to make a music video would be great. And then there's another book that I wrote, and this is out of frustration. I wrote a book called A Hacker's Guide to Living a Purpose-Driven Life. And I know all of us have been hacked. (laughs) One day I was so frustrated because some computers, when you're hacked, this voice goes on and it starts screaming at you saying, you've been hacked. I mean, it's bad enough you've been hacked, but now everybody around you knows that you've been hacked. So I was listening and listening to it and I said, you know what, I need to teach the hackers that if they channel all of that energy and that skill set, they could get a good job. Because a lot of corporations, especially tech companies, hire hackers to hack into companies to test their security systems. I don't know if you're familiar with the movie Sneakers, but it's one where you have the top actors in it like Robert Redford, uh, Sidney Poitier, and all these people, they're not, they're, they're like, I won't say deviants, they're like off the beaten path. They all have an incredible skill set, but they also all have a secret. And they wind up having to help the government. So they use their hacking skills to do something good. So the first thing I did with the book, just briefly, was I talked about how I felt to be hacked. I said, well, is it an admirer? Is it somebody just wants to know my bit? They could just ask. I, I, I make it a little bit light. And then I make it into a business. I make it where they set up an association. They set up clubs. They involve their family. They get training. They get jobs. And there's now hackathons going on all over the world. Then there's another book that I wrote. It's called Outline for actors, directors, screenwriters, producers, and writers. And once again, I wrote this book because it's something that I needed for myself. I wanted to learn all those things, but in a retreat. So what I was going to do was I was going to buy a property and then set up a monthly retreat for each one of those. I mean, what's the first thing you need when you think of a movie? You need some actors then you do need somebody to direct it. You do need somebody to write a script. You do need somebody to write a producer. So I was going to line it up just like that. So you start off with one phase, then you go into the next phase, then the next phase, then the next phase. And I was going to do this in the course of maybe three or four months. But I decided to expand it. I said, why not invite the whole family? 
then you could have all these little seminars and camps, like you could have a camp for stunts, you could have a camp for makeup artistry, and then every Friday at the end of the week, you could be do whatever you want in that day, do like a spa or you know any type of thing that made you feel good. And then when I finished that, I said, you know what? Why don't I put the resources that would allow you to put that together so that you could fund it, you could raise money for it. So I was like, hey, this is a great idea. In fact, I was a friend of mine was going to sell her ranch, and I thought that'd be the perfect place to put it on. But then I went one step further. I said, well, if you don't have that environment, there are uh, resorts that already have stuff at it that's kind of similar. And then all you have to do is show up at the resort, like a timeshare or, you know, like one company that I belong with, they have locations all over the place and they have a lot of those themes already there. So you could pay extra to have it there, <clears throat> to have it there. And then at the same time, you have all the things you need. Like say you're going to do a workshop on stunts. If you go down to Epcot, or even there's actually a place in the DMV that they were just advertising on the news the other day where you can go there and you can learn about stunts and you can act out all these stunts. So if you're in an area that has all those things, you just have set up different field trips every day for people to go on. And that's one way. And then another book that I wrote was um, about my PhD project. It's called the TRPP Project, which is the Tuition Reimbursement Program Portal. Now, what that is, other than just being long-winded, it's the Human Resources Solutions to Training and Development. It is designed based on my book, which is entitled Funding for Internships and Scholarship Book, which is a book that I use to train individuals how to look for scholarship, fundraising, or grants, and... Uh, self-explanatory, but the project is kind of based on this book. Both will be turned into apps. I already have a um, company that has offered to be a part of that, and um, they're going to help me develop those things. And then those apps will be used in your HR departments. They will be used in um, a wide variety of contexts. I don't want everything to be technology-based. I do want people to use their tablets or their phones, all that stuff. But I want it to be a family affair. Like, say, if you have <clears throat> kids that are in uh, pre-K or kindergarten, they can also be involved in the process as well. And I know this because, as I mentioned before, I, I, have, I wrote a book, How to Set Up a Portable Immersion Program. That was based on a business that I ran for 16 years. I taught kids from two on up, even some kids younger than two, because I had one client or two that used to sneak their kids into my class, even though they knew the required age was two. But as long as they can crawl or walk a little bit in, I didn't say anything. So I know it's possible. And a lot of families work from home. So you have the mom or the dad at home. And you know, the child's like running around doing little things. There's jobs you can give them. I mean, I, I had my nephew and my niece work with me on several occasions. Um, and I would give them their, their job, whether it was just carrying my bag or like with them, I also taught them how to read bilingual books. So I got their accent to a level where one summer I had my nephew, his job was to carry my bag. And then he also read Clifford to them in Spanish. Long story short, he loved that job. 
and he was well compensated for it. it. The only thing I'll just tell parents, if you give the child that kind of power over other kids, the only power that he had was to tell the kids to be quiet, you know, give them some <laughs> instructions. But no, you might laugh, but if you give a seven-year-old that kind of power, especially when you start off the school year where he's in trouble, like he was in trouble like the first two weeks. So I wanted him... I use psychology kind of as a punishment. It was that he had to sit there and watch us have fun. And if you've ever seen one of my classes, we don't have anything but fun. We're getting out. We're doing like, we're doing the Spanish uh, aerobics. We're singing and dancing. We're dancing salsa with a little two, three-year-old. So for a seven-year-old to have to watch that, that's like, that's like pouring a bucket of water over him. So his job was to sit and watch for two weeks. And he was just like, I said, well... Not my fault. So after two weeks of doing that, then I gave him his job. But the problem is, by the end of the summer, he loved telling kids what to do. So all I could think about was all the good you did, he's going to go back to that school with a chip on his shoulder thinking he's a boss. And he's going to start telling those kids what to do. And you know how it is when another kid tells a bunch of other kids what to do. And you know what's going to happen. I'm going to get a call. Uh, Miss Lewis, didn't he tell you? So I had to correct it. So the last two weeks, I said, I'm sorry, but now you have to sit as a student and listen. He didn't like it, but I didn't get any calls. So obviously I made a good call. So that's the thing. When I designed the book for the immersion program, I set it up in such a way where the parents can get involved in every level. So it can be a family affair, and that's the way my project was designed. So that, say, everybody in your family is going to participate in the project. You have the apps for the family members. There's a bunch of games that kids can play, and that can be their job. So even at this age, they can start earning money to pay for school, whether it's a private school or eventually college. And then uh, I have another book called "It's Global Movements Create Global Opportunities, that book is going to be made into a documentary. It is a book about conferences and events that I've attended over the years. And I have participated in all kinds of ways. I've either attendee or I was a volunteer. I also have a whole slew of articles about different schools that I've worked with over the years and some interviews that I've done with the entrepreneurs, whether they were, one of them in particular, I remember is he was a fashion designer. He was a lawyer. He's a fashion designer. Um, he also decided that he wanted to do a cookbook based on fashions. <laughs> and then he also did this incredible cruise called the Middle Passage that dealt with slavery. And when I was sitting there interviewing him, I was like, I mean, this, this guy, his, his clothing is in Bergdorf. I mean, he's just like, just amazing, amazing guy. Everything he touches is just gold. So I was like, man, I get to interview this guy? So those were the, and then I had another gentleman on a, you know, another fun note. He, he, he developed like the salsa network in the DMV, like all the different like clubs that started having salsa, different things. He would have parties in conjunction with that. And I would invite him at least a couple times to come, <clears throat> excuse me, and dance for, uh, uh, and dance for my students. Like, um, thanks. Once he did, I was uh, giving a, a talk at the. Thank you. 
um, at the convention center. <clears throat> and I had had the kids dancing, and we were doing our salsa and our aerobics and all this stuff. But him and his partner, they stood on the stage at the convention center, and they taught a class to 500 little Girl Scouts. <laughs> so you can imagine 500 Girl Scouts all around, and they were dancing, and we had the best time. Everybody's out there doing salsa and having a good time, and you know everything's going really well. So that was a great experience for him. And whenever I had special occasions, he would come and either dance as my partner or dance with someone else and show the kids and the parents, uh, you know, salsa. My desire to write a book, actually, the first time <clears throat> was it, it was it was basically a suggestion. A lot of times when I would tell people about the lifestyle that I had with my mother and the travels that she took us on, they would say things like, you know what, you should write a book. <laughs> and a lot of people think, yeah, right. That was said to me so many times that eventually I said, you know what, I'm going to write a book. So one, one of the times when I was in Europe and I was in the perfect environment studying, I said, you know what, I'm going to write that book. And I did. It, and I, it was incredible because I, I found it therapeutic. A lot of people don't think of writing as therapy, but it is. <clears throat> it allows you to express yourself in a way that's cathargic. It makes you feel good. It's like I didn't even realize that I, I, I felt the way that I did about certain things that happened to me in my past. Um, I'll give you an example, and hopefully, well, I'm not going to say hopefully because these days everybody's listening, but I'm just going to put this one, this analogy on the table just to lighten the mode and make it a little bit funny. Um, I remember once being um, in a setting, I don't know whether it was a movie theater or a restaurant, and I was talking to a boyfriend, and I was telling him something about my past, you know, like some travels I had with my mother. And he turned around, and he said to me, I don't even know you. And I was like, and I said, okay, I was just trying to share, you know, because I didn't think it was a big deal. But then when I wrote about it, you know, because people have been telling me for years, you should write a book. But when I wrote about it, I thought about what was in his mindset. I said, now, even though I was only about eight or not, maybe 10 years old, in his mind, the only thing he heard was, we were talking about jail. And I said, well, you know, I've already been to prison at 10. And he looked at me like, what did you do? You know, so then I thought about how he felt. But then when you read the chapter, it's actually kind of funny. So I'm going to put that light note on it because I don't want this to be totally too serious. What happened was one of the adventures that my mother took us on, we went to Mexico. And the first time we went, we were, you know, traveling around, touring, because my mother did like yoga, meditation, and there was a lot of band members. So we formed in the different towns. But then we left, and some of the people wanted to go back to Mexico. So in order to raise money, they sold one of the cars, and, you know, we changed our transportation, and then we went into sort of a hybrid of hitchhiking. That's why I said my mother and her adventures hitchhiking, and other travels. So the reason we ended up sort of in the prison mode was we were actually being deported. <laughs> we were being deported out of Mexico because 
they found out that we were doing all these different convictions. We were doing the same thing. We're still touring and performing, but you know, they were not happy with us back then doing that kind of movement around Mexico. So they wanted us to leave. So they were deporting us. And really what happened is we ended up just staying one night in a jail. You know, I was on our way out as they were deporting. And then the other hilarious part was when we got to the next town, they just like locked us like in a room in a building. And we decided, well, I think it was like the second, because we this has happened like three times. And what happened is we decided we wanted to leave because we would pick the lock every day, go to the beach. In fact, we even saw the people on the street. We'd wave at them. And we'd go back. And I even end the chapter in my book by saying, hey, if you want to get an all-expense-paid trip out of a country, sometimes being deported is the way to go. So, you know, I mean, you know, I, I made it into a joke later, but I can understand how he would feel. You know, you're dating somebody and then they tell you, well, you know, I mean, I was being, you know, I thought I was joking about it. I was just saying, he was like, you've been in prison already. Because, you know, when, when people think prison, they get all these, you know, crazy pictures in your head. But if you think about a lot of movies that are on nowadays, you have people Sometimes in kind of a joking fashion, they might just be in a jail for a night. How many people are familiar with the movie, um, Why Did I Get Married? Okay. Now, if, I, if memory serves me correct, one of the wives was on her way driving to the lodge, but there was a snowstorm. And she went into the police station, knocked on the door, and he says, hey, you can't get up that mountain tonight. So you could stay here. So if somebody walked in and saw her sleeping in the jail, they would not know what have happened. Context. So they would assume she's a prisoner. So that's, that's why I go back to telling your story. So many times in the media and the news, we hear a soundbite of something. And we don't know the whole context of the situation. And that's how come a lot of times things get blown out of blown out of context. I was telling someone recently how I was preparing for this autobio series. And they were like, well, why do you want to have everything scripted? I said, if I'm doing all the talking, it doesn't have to be. But if they're going to ask me questions, I do want to have some of some inclination of what they're going to ask me. How do you know how many talk shows I've listened to where people have answered a question and created a liability for themselves? I'll give you an example. I won't name the talk show. But there was one talk show that was on, and this person was just being honest. They were simply saying, oh, well, you know, I moved into this new house, and, you know, there was some mail sitting there, and, um, you know, I just picked it up, and I opened up the mail, that's a federal offense. Because if you open someone else's mail, that's, you know, you break the law. Now, the person that said it was a celebrity hadn't thought about it, but they were on a talk show. And that's how my mind works. I immediately said, wow, they created a liability for themselves and didn't even know. And there was, there's several other examples I can give you. So what I decided was, anytime I want to talk open-ended, it's going to be my terms, my setting, my dime. Then whatever I say, I can explain it in such a way that I get to explain myself. 
you know, like they call splaining. <laughs> because the thing is, you don't. Sometimes in interviews, you get ambushed. You know, people want the gossip. Nowadays, they've got the have or the have not. And, and I think that's cool, as long as you can control it. Because what happens to you is things get blown up. And as an author, you know, you want to control the narrative. And with me, I want to be known as someone who not just puts out a lot of gossip, but someone who's helping other people. Because even look at what my publishers told me, and I haven't admitted this to anybody. He wants me to change my book to a memoir, which means I give the real names of the people. So guess what struggle I have right now is I made it fiction based on real life to protect uh, people, say that. <laughs> and now I'm struggling with the fact that 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 may not be what is wanted of the book. So what I'm going to do, and, and I actually have to share this with him too, because I don't want to blindside him either, is I'm praying about it and what I might have to wind up doing with that particular book, and this is good for authors too, is I may send a copy to my exes because I want to retain their friendship. That's part of the reason I have changed their names. But once again, my publisher might say, that's not the route I want you to take. So that, once again, is a dilemma that I have to deal with. So I'm praying about that too because that's what was the holdup of the book. See, I was in a different mindset when I wrote it. When I wrote it, I was like, man, I want this to be a bestseller. I want this to be this, that, all these different things. But then I became a role model and a mentor you know, to little people. And I cared about what they thought of me and how they felt about me and their perception of me. And then as a business person, I also had a certain image that I wanted to maintain. So all these things went about, and I started saying, wow, I'm not as excited to publish the book. My career's gone this direction, this direction, this direction. Long story short, that is why I'm here today, now getting to the publish. But the blessing is, is that I have all these other books. <laughs> so if for some reason I have to take a slight detour with that one, um, it won't be heart-wrenching. I mean, that might be the bestseller. That might be the blockbuster movie. But the reason I have to pray about it is because... I'm still friends with a couple of my exes, and I, I don't know if it... Well, actually, let me rephrase that. I will give them their personal chapter, and if they absolutely, positively want me to make some modifications, I will get with my publisher and see if I can work it out. I wrote the truth, but not everybody's happy with the truth, and I'll just say that, so... I'll leave that alone. Um, I'm going to wrap this up <clears throat> with quickly talking about my project again, the TRPP project. This is designed to help companies, organizations, schools, families, anybody who needs help. It is designed to make sure that people can find whatever they need as far as academics or training. If they have a tuition reimbursement program, they can make it better. If they don't have one, they can set one up. They will be able to get an app. <clears throat> they will be able to get training manual. 
They'll be able to get a tablet. They'll be able to use their phone. Whatever mechanism they need, they will be able to utilize it with this project. I cannot tell you how many companies over the last year and a half that I've helped with this project. In fact, I invited a publication company recently to participate in it, and I would personally help them to revamp. I mean, a lot of times that the companies and organizations I'm helping, they're on the brink. I mean, several of them have been closing overnight, some in some cases 48 hours, a week, a month. You know, it's just, it's hard to keep up. But at the same token, I recognize that I'm meeting a need. Uh, For the funding book, that one's more fun. That's a book where Whatever way your learning style leads you, you can make money. You can make money by doing research. You can make money by writing essays. You can make money uh, for your internships. You can make money by uh, going on game shows, talk shows. I mean, it covers the gamut. If you love studying, if you love reading, If you love uh, board games, whatever your learning style is, funding for internships and scholarships is the resource for you. I teach you how to look for money as a part-time or a full-time job. I make it fun. I make it simple. I make it exciting. And best of all, anyone can do it. The book is short and sweet and to the point. If you need to set up an internship program, it's the book for you. If you decide you want to spend your vacation going on game shows all week, it's the book for you. If you want to combine uh, doing that with going on vacation, you can do that. You can do research. Uh, Many of the tasks that you can do, to give you a quick example, say you want to design your day. You get up at eight o'clock in the morning from after you do your devotions or bathroom, whatever you do, you take 15 minutes or less You can do an application for like a $10,000 scholarship, some of them less than five minutes. You could uh, play a quick game if that's what you want to do. And then lunchtime rolls around. You've got an hour. You say, okay, well, 20 minutes of that. I'm going to dedicate to this. I might do a little bit of research. I might write an essay because some there's even there's even scholarship uh, programs that say no essay. So you can kind of just design your day by creating a spreadsheet or a daily log, and then you keep going. Or if you want to make it a part-time job, you set aside a certain amount of hours a week, and then that's all you do during that time. And then you set a goal for yourself monthly of how much you want to earn, and you can get creative with that. You can also do something, there's things called challenges. I'm not sure if people are familiar with those. Those are where you might solve a world problem, uh, either through a government agency or organization or private organization. It's a whole slew of things in there. Then, uh, last but not least, the global movements create global opportunities is going to be turned into a documentary. And that documentary is going to cover the globe. I'm going to try to get almost every country, every city to participate in that. And it'll showcase local talent, local businesses, local opportunities. And it'll also reinvest and it'll open up a gamut. The book All of the proceeds from the book is going to be reinvested in the documentary and the communities. It'll also be used for fundraising. And apps will be created throughout that will facilitate a whole lot of different things. It's also going to showcase entrepreneurs, different industries. And most importantly, it's 
it might be a unifying factor because it's going to teach people about other cultures. It's going to teach people about other behavior patterns. And what better way for us to heal so many wounds that are going around the world right now by learning more about other cultures? Whenever I taught my classes, they were totally diverse in such a way where I wanted everybody to understand things. And whenever there were things that happened that were kind of upsetting, I would always bring that subject matter in the classroom to address it um, so that, you know, on the kids' level, we could have talks and we can share and we can contribute to each other on a daily basis. I want to close out by saying I'm so happy to be given this opportunity to not only share about my life as an author and to talk a little bit about myself because I really didn't go into my background that much. It's, it's kind of diverse as well. It's business. It's uh, performing arts. It's pretty much in everything that I do. All the different books that I talked about, I have some level of experience in all those. I'm also currently taking screenwriting classes as well as working on my PhD because I want to know how it works to make a documentary or how it works to make a movie or how it works to do the retreats. Because I think it's important, especially being an entrepreneur and a business person, that I know what I'm doing and I know what others are supposed to do for me. And my goal with everything that I do, as always, is to give back, to make a difference, and to make this world a better place. Thank you all for experiencing my first author series. And I look forward to doing others and continuing the journey of searching for the perfect place in a way where I find myself, my role, my method, and my life's mission. Have a wonderful and peaceful afternoon. Would you like to hear that?